Hi, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, welcome to this call to discuss the future of the technology services industry. Uh, we have a very special guest, a first-generation entrepreneur who has not only built a sizable technology services organization, but is also highly respected for his thoughts on the evolution of technology. Back in 2008, he spoke about how the cloud would increasingly play a larger role and how software development efforts would decline. All these changes have impacted the industry in ways that are meaningful to an investor. He also founded a non-profit organization called Day Asra that focuses on helping people start small businesses. The organization has so far helped 87,000 businesses. Welcome Dr. Anandesh Pandey. It's a pleasure to host you. Thank you so much for taking time to do this call. I'll make a little bit of a disclaimer here that I tend to be a more pessimistic than the world is. And rather than calling myself pessimistic, I would say that, you know, I'm a little paranoid and quoting Andy Grove here, success breeds complacency, complacency breeds failure, and only the paranoid survive. So I have a little bit of a paranoia on this thing. But today's presentation is a little bit of a future gazing, and I have this picture here about this parrot and the guy who carries the parrot. So essentially what we are doing today is somewhat like that. The only question that I have in my mind is I'm not sure if I'm the parrot or the person carrying the parrot. But other than that, today we are in the little bit of a future gazing mode, and we'll see how we go in the question state. Uh, this particular uh, set of ideas or technology themes that I've been working on, uh, I've been working on them even before uh, the COVID-19 happened. And what I want to do today is to share with you a little bit about the themes that I think are going to happen first. Then we'll talk a little bit about the COVID impact and then cover con conclude in terms of how these themes are likely to change with respect to COVID. So that's my plan for today. And uh, so the first theme that I want to mention is that the move to the cloud is inevitable. I'm going to try to not read the presentation as such because there's enough written in there and we can always look at it through the Q&A mode. Uh, my point uh, of view here, I can, of course, elaborate in a much longer context, but today I'm going to just give you the headline. So I believe the cloud is starting to happen in a big way. Most of the infrastructure moving to the cloud has been moved in a lift and shift manner so far. I think uh, moving ahead, uh, people are going to do more and more public cloud implementations. And uh, if and when uh, people start to look at um, application rationalization, and I have a little bit more of it towards the later half of this presentation, I think that is going to be the real uh, work that might happen. Uh, a lot of the varieties in cloud that have come up are around, of course, you have the infrastructure clouds, but you also have SaaS platforms, such as Salesforce, Workday, ServiceNow, and they have become pretty much the digital transmission platforms over the last few years. And uh, what has happened, which is kind of a little surprising, but the reality is that in the last five years, a number of applications being managed and the complexity of these managing these applications in the cloud, instead of going down, which would have been something that I would have anticipated five years back, actually has gone up significantly. And uh, in the past, when we were talking about cloud five years back, at least I thought uh, cloud would be uh, reducing cost of infrastructure significantly and clouds would be cheaper, but by and large that is certainly not the case. Even though this is true that we haven't reduced the number of applications and the number of uh, the cost of cloud is not necessarily lower, 
The move to the cloud is inevitable. This is not going to stop, and we're going to see much more cloud movement in the future. The second comment I want to make, and this is something that I would separate more so in the context of the COVID and other related areas. So I'm trying to separate the cloud collaboration environments such as Office 365, G Suite from Google, Zoom, Slack, and all of these things. They were all fairly well entrenched in the enterprise world. What COVID has done is it's accelerated their roadmap and made them appropriate for consumer environments such as cloud-based collaboration services, specifically driven by Office 365, Google G Suite, and others, are starting to do well. But not only are they starting to become very relevant for enterprises, they are starting to become relevant for schools, healthcare, and other areas. And people are looking at more innovative ways of using these as a platform. So I believe that these suites will become the user experience for the future. And we are starting to see a lot of action where teams and other players, uh, you know, specifically we see this in teams as well, where a lot of data entry and endpoints are coming into teams. So teams will become the front end for uh, collaboration and for uh, front end for most of these systems. And I'll talk a little bit more about user experience as we go ahead. Uh, the third trend that we have seen is that um, because the cloud and the way the added complexity, the distribution of data sets, sources, and all of these kinds of things, followed by requirements around security, privacy, compliance, and more importantly, data, data localization. This whole managing the infrastructure and the cloud has become a more complex and a more important problem. And centralized control is sort of where this is moving. So one of the... Um, so if, I, if you ask me five years back, I was looking at nine of business guys starting to drive control in terms of where this might go, but in the last five years or more so in the last few years, driven by cost control, security, and privacy, we are starting to see the CIOs starting to come back into, um, you know, more stronger position in the organization. Uh, number fourth item is around business processes and APIs. So I believe that um, with cloud basically meaning lift and shift, RPA tools have come in handy for putting an interim solution for uh, looking at legacy systems and processes, but I see RPA as more as an interim solution and as machine learning starts to help on refactoring some of these business processes, I expect the next generation of business processes and APIs to be big areas of investment in the next few years. Um, I have been also surprised but quite pleased to see the single process companies that are addressing the voids created by the difficulties of integration. And this is a fairly loaded statement, and, you know, maybe you can discuss this again. But uh, what I find is that a lot of the new unicorns are all, especially in the enterprise space, tend to be all single process kind of companies that execute one process really well across the whole system. And one might imagine why do you need them, but really uh, the lack of integration across the other cloud platforms has made that necessary. Uh, number five is the data middleware. I think data middleware will continue to grow. Data is growing at exponential rates. Data complexity has grown, but uh, more distributed islands than before. Uh, I still think that this is going to be a hot area for research and uh, innovation. I think uh, data middleware continues to be the holy grail, and getting it right is going to be a challenge. So these are the infrastructure themes. Let me share with you five digital themes that I think are going to drive the next five years. So first one is regarding digital transformation being in the first version, last five years. Everyone has been talking about making the experience better for stakeholders. 
So everyone will mention to you that I'm using digital transformation to improve my customer experience, customer journey, employee experience, employee journeys. I believe that we are done with that. I think that those have some value but don't really provide the real value that digital transformation can be all about and that is about helping better decision making. So how do I use digital transformation to not just solve the fact that I can get a good experience? I'm more interested in not just the experience but what do I do with that experience? How do I make better decisions? Again, this is a very elaborate topic and I have a very detailed explanation of this particular version and we can, depending on how we go, either now or another time, I can explain to you what I mean by this topic. The second thing that I'm really um, convinced about is that in the next few years, those who are able to invest and make uh, machine learning really their main capability will win. There is going to be a lot of discussion and action in how machine learning gets embedded inside of every action, every activity, and it will not remain a project anymore, but will have to come into the veins of the system. So that's my number two prediction. Uh, number three, I believe that low aperture interfaces, by low aperture interfaces, I mean interfaces such as uh, voice control things or watches or other kinds of things where you don't have a big screen and you don't have the ability to do dashboards and other things. I think we are going to move away from application portals, dashboards to actionable insights and uh, machine learning is determined, going to determine what is actionable, what is actionable now and we'll have some RPA or some variation of it to take actions along with it. So digital experience is not going to be about showing you information but giving you task-centric actionable insights so they can do something about it. Uh, I'm rushing through these things but We'll come back to this in the Q&A. Number four on my list is user experience will move closer to the user. Now, this might seem very obvious, but today what happens is that when people write applications, they write the user experience for that application. So when you have 10 applications, you have 10 user experiences. What I believe is going to happen in the future is that the user will carry his own or her own user experience with them and the application will figure out a way to interact with this. Now, let me give you two examples of where you can already see this. So, if you look at uh, something like, uh, let's say, CarPlay or Android Auto, which is, um, you know, something that you carry on your phone, you have an application on your phone, but when you push it into the car and push it into the car dashboard, now the car's dashboard is not what comes from the car, but what comes from your user experience, your Spotify connections, your email contacts, your SMSs are already on your phone. They now become part of the experience that you get inside the car. Uh, this is similar when you look at, say, something like Alexa as well. When you're talking to Alexa, uh, which is the Amazon voice thing, you're talking to the voice box which carries your context, and that is closer to you rather than closer to the application. The application is not written for every Alexa, you customize your Alexa for your requirements and the application figures out a way to make this happen. So this one and the lower purchase stuff around our centric experiences, I believe, will go together. And the fifth one that I have is about 5G. I think I'm quite excited about the technology requirements of what might happen through 5G, but I think um, COVID might delay 5G investments. And uh, it's not here. We'll see much of this in India. Again, we can talk about this uh, in the Q&A section of this thing. 
So these were the sort of five infrastructure predictions that I wanted to make and then five digital transformation predictions that I was going to make. I think these I had worked on even before COVID, so not much has changed in them, except perhaps a delay on the edge computing side and COVID-related stuff around 5G, and the fact that higher deployments of uh, collaboration environments have started to happen. Now, let me move this to a slightly different segment and a lot of these questions I got from uh, Nitin about what happens to the uh, industry and what do people do and all of that stuff. So I just thought I'd take a little bit of a context on where we are today, what we do, combine it with what is happening in COVID and then answer those questions. So the next few segments are a little bit about setting the context of what is happening and under these contexts how people are likely to make certain decisions. So the first part is that, you know, of course, you know, when we operate as a business, there are two supply chains we are running. One is around the customer and bringing in the business, and the other one is the ability to deliver, so hiring people and making sure they are trained for delivering the product. When both of these supply chains tend to get aligned, that's when uh, good business happens. So with this and background, let me tell you, 10 different ways I believe COVID-19 will change our lives. Okay. So of these 10, I'm going to split them into two fives. First five, I'm very sure of all, and the second five depends on where they land. And unfortunately, where all of these things land will have an implication on what happens to tech, the tech roadmap being deployed in the future. I believe the roadmap is robust. Who's going to use it and how it gets deployed will depend a lot on how people come out of this COVID business. So the first five that I'm very sure of is that this will not be the last pandemic in our lifetime, uh, and everyone is going to look at ways to build and invest in, into resilient businesses. And this is true for businesses, it's also true for countries, so governments will take a similar approach to it. I believe it's going to take a while before we're going to see a vaccine that is going to be widely available. So this social distancing, keeping people away from each other, and all of those kinds of things that are starting to happen. Uh, will remain in the fact that you might get quarantined at short notice because someone in your neighborhood had COVID. So these kinds of things are going to happen. So we will have to find a way to live with this disease for some more time. Um, the economic uh, impact of this is very broad and severe. So I believe that even though the stock market seems to have done well, there is no reflection of the stock market as far as the real economy on the ground is concerned. And I work very closely with the very small businesses as part of Diaspora. Foundation, and I can tell you for a fact that a lot of these small businesses are hurting. And, uh, you know, it's not clear if they will survive in the first place. So, it's a real, um, the ground, on the ground, the situation is not, um, I'm not that optimistic about what I see in the ground. Uh, consequence of this is always that the rich get richer, and the question is how poor will the poor get? And then number five is work from anywhere is here to stay. So, we'll have to figure out how to factor that in in the future of work. Um, the next six, I don't know where this will end up. So on the social memory side, question is how long are we going to remember the pandemic versus are we going to forget the pandemic and move back to the pre-COVID world. Uh, some of this has implications in terms of how we operate in the future. Uh, social activism is another concern. Will it start to become a big issue or society will accept and keep moving on and there may not be much activism. The geopolitical stuff is, I think, kind of relevant and important for our industry a lot. Uh, what happens if China wins, America wins, there is a third power, China doesn't become important. 
So we sort of get to a such a collaborative, friendly world that everyone works with each other and these boundaries are not relevant. So I don't know where we will end, but that is a critical thing. And then uh, with respect to digitization, are we going to have everyone gets online access, everyone can do online courses, or it's just that the, you know, the poor don't have access to the same level of network, cell phones, or the other devices, so they continue to remain uh, left behind. And then finally, what happens to the government? Uh, will the government become more intrusive, start taking more control? You have more and more government spend, hospitals getting taken over by the government, or forced to run by the government under a government mandate, or it becomes government kind of gives up, makes hands off, and lets the private sector do whatever it needs to do. So many of these things I think are not clear right now, and how we end up with this uh, will matter. I think every industry will have a different impact. So clearly, travel, airlines, hospitality, healthcare, education, these are going to definitely change, and how privacy unfolds is one thing I'm, I'm watching carefully. There is a chance that we might uh, compromise privacy in this whole model and that might be a different world as we look ahead. I think jobs and economy are again areas to think about and then finally politics and government. So while these are not directly IT <coughs> related things, I think a lot of these things are uh, the overall impact on IT being so broad and everywhere has an impact on all of this stuff. So finally, within respect to India, I find that we were kind of not very well prepared to handle such disasters. So I don't know if we're going to do something about it or wait for the next one to tell us that. But I think COVID really exposed our preparedness in some sense. The economy was stressed before the COVID, and uh, I think uh, this whole last six to eight weeks or ten weeks of being locked down has not really helped anyone. This will be quite expensive. And uh, everybody's been talking about moving business out of China to India, but I'm not convinced that just because the world wants to move it, we are really ready to take it on. And it's clear we need a lot of investments in public infrastructure, healthcare, telecom, business, banking, all of these kinds of things. Despite all these challenges, I must say that the Indian IT industry did really well. Uh, we were able to demonstrate that we were able to work from home. Uh, and by and large, the confidence that Despite these sort of hard calamities, uh, work kept going on. People were able to deliver to the work that was expected. Uh, actually, turned out well for the IT industry, and that is, I think, a very positive thing from the industry's point of view. Uh, looking ahead, clearly there is a lot of work to be done. The question is, where is the money? And this is true not just for governments, but also for uh, businesses. So if I'm in a situation where... I have these five things that are going to happen anyway. How am I likely to operate, right? So this is sort of what I pulled up here. So when I'm a decision maker in a business, my first priority right now is to say, will my business survive? And if that does survive, then I'm going to look at how can I make it thrive. And in that context, most of the things that I expect which will get prioritized to start uh, will be how do I make my business robust and resilient to security, compliance, all these things start to become very relevant. Uh, the sales force, getting customer experiences to get better, how do you do remote acquisition of customers and service customers in a remote environment will become uh, very important. And this will all have to be done with a limited budget. So that creates uh, new sets of opportunities and challenges. And then finally, you know, what happens to the Indian government when they start to spend 
more India. So India does it become a viable market for software and technology is a good question. And finally, you know, it's clear my employees can work from anywhere and how do I take advantage of it? So this is sort of where, you know, still good questions. I don't really know how this might turn out. And I think a lot of these kinds of situations, what happens is that every individual company will make their own calls and we will evolve in a in a manner over the next few years. Yes, and why uh, some of these calls may have long-term implications on the way we as a software business operate. So how do we work from anywhere? Uh, is it going to create smaller term things? In large cities, we get distributed. We'll have to figure out a way to learn how to work through distributed teams, time zones, and all of these kinds of things. And then, you know, uh, lower cost geographies, what does that mean might change dramatically. How do you improve and manage productivity in this work from anywhere environment is still an open question. Uh, we suddenly have been forced to work from home right now, so people have been supportive. And then finally, customers, uh, uh, and I can hire from anywhere, you know, would that mean there is a disintermediation of the software forms? And what happens to H1B visas and are we moving to big economy? So all of these are sort of very interesting and difficult questions as we look ahead. Let's see where that goes. So I'm going to stop here, uh, Nitin, and uh, uh, open it out for uh, uh, your fireside chat type questions and uh, then we can decide how to take it forward from there. Sure. Thank you, Anand. I think uh, this sort of sets up uh, sort of base for our discussion. And I, I think you hit a couple of things which are very interesting. Uh, one is the CIO is back in center stage from uh, the shift to the CXOs that we saw over the last 10 years. Uh, single process companies are becoming more important. And you have, at the same time, you also have the situation where uh, customers have lower money to spend, considering we are just uh, coming out of a uh, crisis, hopefully so. So in that context, and you have seen 2000, you have seen 2008, how do you think IT companies, the core, if, if you think of what are the three, four drivers of relevance for the services industry, and how that sort of changes in the context of these changes over the next five, ten years, and what do companies need to do? Uh, uh, I think that would be my first question. The thing is that clearly, uh, I think the technology roadmap is quite robust. Okay, so I don't believe that uh, there is any uh, change in the technology roadmap or the direction in which we are going to go. The second part that is, I think, relevant is the fact that the business money available in general in the pot is going to come down from the spender's point of view. That is also, I think, inevitable. Now, under these conditions, two things. Every company that is going to spend money on tech is different from each other. So, a lot of these decisions about what is appropriate will depend on that particular company's individual finances and other situations. And the second part of it is that they have the option of reprioritizing or redefining what is important from their point of view. So, in my opinion, the reprioritization will happen in terms of uh, risk avoidance, compliance, and all of those kinds of things, for one, sure. And second is how do you attract and retain and run your customers' side of the journey. So those are the two main areas in which things will happen. So in this context, I think for individual companies, again, what will depend on who your customers are and what happens to your mix of customers. 
and how do you respond to each one of them? So from a company's point of view, I think uh, trying to broadly generalize across the whole industry or trying to say that this is how it's going to be it may not be the right thing to do, but to focus on uh, one company at a time and make sure your customers survive, do well, and you make sure you are in the parts that are more areas where they are more likely to spend rather than the other way around. So that would be my first uh, sort of call on the, uh, at the very broad level in terms of how companies need to respond. Sure. And, yeah, and uh, so you also spoke about how, uh, you know, cloud adoption um, uh, is inevitable and we have seen that happen over the last 10 years. Uh, but when do you see this sort of maturing for enterprises in terms of cloud adoption? Oh. And... Yeah, yeah, No, so what I find in general is that cloud starting to happen. So what uh, I would have expected in the about 10 years back or most of five to seven years back when I last looked at this topic, uh, in terms of what the projections would happen really fast and more and more companies would move to the cloud and try to even refactor and all of that stuff. Now, it's that interest that's of lift and shift. A lot of other cloud deployments are happening in edge So, the number of applications that are being supported in the cloud, you have the traditional applications that you had running on-premise now have moved. Some, some other are in process. Second part, you now have all the other uh, sort of new applications you have built, which are on cloud-native SaaS platforms such as Salesforce or others like Workday and others. And now you also have uh, data lakes and other kinds of things that are your uh, systems of engagement that you have built on top of the cloud. So I think the cloud complexity has gone up. Um, people have not really attempted very aggressively to reduce the footprint of the cloud, and that is a challenge in some sense. So the costs have not necessarily all gone down on the cloud. So this is action for Indian companies has been in one, migrating stuff to the cloud, and then second, or the portfolio application, specialization activity that people are talking about is going to be an important one. But what happens in the reality is that it's a low on a budget situation that you say, well, if I don't really have to do this now, can I just wait for some more time? And there is a risk that people might just wait it out for a while and uh, do something that is intermediate. But uh, I believe that if this has to go there, I think APIs is the first place where it's going to start. People will put next generation API and then uh, go after the backend rationalization. Right. So, uh, so I think if if not for this crisis. Uh, this roadmap on uh, the shift to the cloud would have continued to keep pace and maybe we would have achieved a state of maturity from an enterprise perspective earlier. And in the current context, uh, from what you're saying, it looks like it will elongate a bit and people will sort of yes. do what's needed. Uh, yes, uh, that is very likely to happen, especially because, you know, when I'm kid on budget, I'm likely to love cash rather than spend it. Correct, correct. Uh, the second thing I wanted to check was, if you look at uh, the whole, uh, what do you think would be the new shape of delivery? Um, um, because there is a lot of talk, so I've been speaking to a few practices and they've been talking of 
the possibility of virtual captures and so on and so forth. So just wanted your thoughts from a service provider perspective, uh, what would be uh, the new shape of uh, services delivery? Uh, would it be on-site, offshore, uh, uh, you know, work from home, gig? Uh, and, and if you just look at it, maybe if you could split it into the near term and medium term, do you think the evolution would be offshore, uh, more offshore uh, uh, with more work from home? And then maybe a gradual adoption of gig and then gig becomes uh, bigger later. Uh, how would you think about it? Yeah, I think it classified as how this could happen. The first thing first is that I think the fact that people have been able to work from home relatively effectively so far uh, has been a good good thing in some sense. So I must admit that the risk uh, point has gone up because people working from home it's not clear their dongles and their network capabilities are all that robust. So clearly there is a bunch of work that companies need to do, but the whole possibility of working from anywhere has really opened up how software teams are likely to get delivered. So this is definitely a trend that's going to happen. The second fact when you work in a remote environment are quite the cost of India is definitely happening. Uh, as I said, security of these experts. Okay. So what I was explaining to you is that uh, this whole distributed teams and working with distributed teams has started to become very viable and everybody has seen the benefit of it. Now, what does this mean? From the captive's point of view, the question of do I really need to have a captive? What does a captive really provide? Do I need to have those people sitting together? All those questions have opened up. So the question is, do I want to save costs by trying to reduce my captives, get rid of my people sitting in one place? Can I get rid of them? Can I have people? And if they're just, they have new opportunities for partners to do more work in a, in a distributed fashion. And uh, I think of, uh, people will try to reduce costs by leveraging some of this. Uh, vendors have an option of, uh, and software companies such as us have an option of working through these chapters to say, you really need to have these chapters, we can take them over. And I think in the long term, more gig economy is definitely uh, not unimaginable. I think it is likely to happen. But a lot of it will just, can be. Right. So, uh, if you look at um, uh, what you're saying, uh, do you think this whole shift is, uh, the driver of the shift is not just that, you know, we can work from home uh, and build redundancies, but uh, do you think it's also the cost pressure that will actually drive service providers to do work from home and thereby pass some of those to the clients? And uh, people who are able to do that faster actually are able to bring down cost for clients faster. Uh, is that the way to think about it? Uh, yes, so that is definitely one of the factors that will happen. Though in this context, one must note that working from home does not necessarily reduce costs on certain accounts. Like you will need to significantly strengthen the IT tech, um, broadband lines, those kinds of infrastructure. When you put people in a dense area, so you are sharing the infrastructure cost to some extent. So factoring that extra variation in there, if you can go to lower cost cities, 
yes, you can certainly get that as long as you can get the infrastructure to happen. I think somewhere this will balance out, but when you compare India costs with respect to U.S. costs, I think we have an advantage now. Right, right. And I think in the earlier question, I lost you out a bit. So, do you think the flow in which these things will change would be as a response to the cost pressures? Would be increasingly to start with higher offshore work from home and then over a period move to uh, maybe more gig as well. Uh, that, that's how it would be? Yeah, sorry, that is a good question and I'm not sure I want to give a conclusive answer on this. So I think the gig will happen. Whether the gig will happen directly on projects with the customer or will there be an aggregator in the middle, right? That is to me not clear yet. And I think a lot of that depends on the level of productivity that we can demonstrate at the gig level. So, is it really possible for for the companies to measure technology productivity and all of that stuff without worrying about teams? Uh, that is still not, uh, the verdict is not clear to me right now. Uh, the way things are globally, uh, the cost pressures and I think people have seen that the importance of having uh, digital online sales is uh, very high. Um, now, do you think that the retailers and manufacturing companies, uh, as they look to go uh, invest more on the digital side and reduce the physical in some form, the level of cash flow available to really deploy on digital will increase and uh, thereby the percentage of uh, uh, IT spend as a percentage of revenue that historically been at 2 or percent, do you think that that is possible that that could actually start rising versus what we have seen in the past? Uh, yes, I think it uh, depends on the industry, but in certain industries such as retail and others, I do believe that uh, they will be shutting down stores or other reasons and then go more into, uh, you know, online distribution and other cases. And there the IT infrastructure and the IT costs will go up. But that depends on, I don't think it's fair to generalize this across, across the whole thing. So first, the total pie is definitely shrunk and it's going to shrink further. Off that pie, I think there is a good chance that the digital IT spend uh, will increase in the scheme of the percent of revenue uh, measure that we do. But will that be more than what we used to have? That depends on how much the pie shrinks. Right. And uh, I think lastly uh, uh, is that if, if you look at uh, the 2008 uh, crisis and uh, the pressure on cost and we look at all the services that were built over the previous decade. I think we saw commoditization of that happen uh, post-2008 and today if you sit back and look at all the companies that are out there, uh, digital offerings are maybe anywhere between 40-50% of their portfolio. Uh, do you think there's a likelihood that there'd be a trend of commoditization there as well? And also your thoughts in terms of what do you think drives commoditization in this industry or what factors really drive that? Um, so, see, uh, in general, okay, two trends are inevitable and will continue. So, effort for the same work will keep going down. Every iteration of new technology basically creates better levels of abstraction and that better abstraction reduces the effort required for completing this. So, this is an ongoing trend that will remain forever. The second part of it is the fact that, you know, if I know I have to repeat the same thing again and again and I'm going to do the same thing uh, more often, 
you would want to package it so that I can reuse it again. So that's really where commoditization comes in. But I think what is important to note, and this is where I think at least for the next few years, I see the digital transformation moving from people trying to make uh, experience-driven decisions to moving to uh, actionable insights and real stuff like that. That changes how you look at stuff in a big way. And some of these changes are quite significant and would require a lot of energy in terms of software development and other areas. Uh, and uh, I think that is where digital is going to move. And let me give you an example. So, one of the examples that I would share is that, you know, we run about 800 projects across the company at the same time. Uh, and these are managed by an SEPG group, and there are a lot of people who track it. We have different people who evaluate risk scores for projects every Monday, and all kinds of things like that happen. But all of that is post-facto. We have charts and spreadsheets, and we can show you what is the status of all these graphs and charts per per project, across groups, across teams, all kinds of things. But really, that doesn't help in making better decisions happen. So the question I've been asking internally is that, okay, is it possible for me to identify what projects are going to be in trouble two weeks from now? I don't need to know these dashboards and things like that. What do I do with them? I want to know when I'm going to be in trouble. And if you can tell me that, then that is far more useful than these old dashboards and other experiences. So I think people are going to move off of uh, being told there are 100 options that you have to a situation that says, here are your top three options. If you take this, this is the consequence. If you take this, this is the consequence. If you take this, this is the consequence. And the, the discussion is going to move into that level of how do I make better decisions rather than just uh, show you all the data in a nice way. All the delivery centers where work from home is going to really uh, catch up in a big way and it's going to be a race to who does more in an effort to bring costs down. Uh, do you think there will be a monetization of delivery centers in uh, expensive locations over the next five years by uh, most players? Do you think, is that a possibility? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's possible. But I think, uh, you know, uh, it will take another six months for people to realize how real or how widespread this whole work from home is going to be. Today we are forced to do it, so we are all doing it. Uh, is this something we would want to do by choice? I'm not entirely clear on that right now. So, see, for example, as persistent, what we are trying to do is we have, we have created a few templates of what work from home might look like. So, 100% work from home. You don't come to office at all. Or some groups might say we come to office three days a week or three days or we work time or in the office, the other half you work from home. How you might this? There is no rush to do anything crazy. But we will say, but I think this gets faster, at least for me, I find working from home to be far more productive than working in office right now. Sure. Uh, just a very, uh, you know, specific and layman kind of question. Uh, you did, you mentioned that this trend towards cloud is sort of inevitable and irreversible. How do you see this playing out given that a lot of these cloud uh, companies or SaaS companies actually are themselves not highly profitable, right? Uh, so how do you see this playing out in the future uh, exactly? And how is this landscape of service provider likely to evolve? When we talk about the cloud, right? I think one has to look at the cloud in different ways. So there is a public cloud, 
uh, which is the infrastructure and other things that is dominated by Amazon. And to some extent, next is Microsoft Azure. And then, of course, you have Google and then that's pretty much it. And then the others are all whatever they are. So these three guys are quite stable. I don't believe that they are going to be short of cash and they will continue to invest in building out the infrastructure cloud. And cloud is no more cheap. So that part, I'm not so concerned about it. I think the next set of things regarding application-centric clouds, I think uh, those, again, uh, some of the leaders are doing quite well, and they will continue to do well. The next set of people, of course, uh, there will always be some of the others that may not do all that well, but I think it's still hard to say how that might come up. And then the, finally, there are these uh, other ones which are mostly relating to single-process clouds, uh, such as, you know, someone who has just one application, such as, okay, I'm able to do end-to-end code to cash or um, accounts payable, accounts receivable, or things like that. And all of those have done dramatically well in the last few years. So I believe that, uh, you know, you will have a way of migrating from one cloud to the other in case the companies do badly. But by and large, I think the move to the cloud is inevitable. More and more things are going to move to the cloud. If we are going to work in a model like we are working now, we could not have survived if we were not operating on the cloud. Got it, got it. So I, I get your point. Uh, so I mean, uh, uh, how easy is it to migrate from one provider to other provider, and is this also a uh, reasonable opportunity for service for you know IT services companies? Well, it's very hard to move from one cloud to the other, and then therefore people are trying to use other models such as hybrid cloud, and that's what IBM is trying to suggest. That instead of writing to uh, one of the specific clouds, you write to an agnostic layer and then you build it out. So there are a lot of variations of how this is going to happen and how it will come up. People are starting to do on the infrastructure side containers and how they run containers is going to have an impact on how cloud gets operated. But I think a lot of these evolution and technology enhancements will happen. But the fact that people will move things to the cloud lot more aggressively than they're going to do things on premise, I think is a given. So, and you, and you think cost is not the driver of this? Not anymore. I think costs actually are not clear that cloud is necessarily the, the cheapest way to get things done. But uh, it has to do a lot with this whole, uh, you know, all the other things, security, privacy, compliance, and a whole bunch of other things that are all relevant in that context. Uh, uh, thank you, uh, uh, Anand. I think this has been very helpful and I, I think very broad-based in terms of discussion and the quality of the presentation is just outright amazing. Uh, thank you so much for taking time out and all the effort. Thanks, Vital. Yeah, thank you.